reading the entire psalm. Let's begin together in verse 1, and we'll read every other verse out loud together. We'll begin in verse 1. Ready? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. We're uh, looking at this series of sermons, The People I Love. Last week we focused on loving my spouse. This week we'll look at loving my family and the aspect of loving my children. My children. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us as we look at such an important theme and such an important topic of loving our children. And Lord, help us as we tweak and seek to do better. Uh, Lord, and being the parents that you have called us to be. Lord, not everyone here this morning is a parent. And uh, some folks are parents, but their children are grown and have left the house. And so, Lord, while this sermon will not directly apply to everyone, indirectly it will. And, Lord, help us to take the truths we hear today. And, Lord, go forth and teach them. And, Lord, live them and put them into practice. And, Lord, would you help our society to take the truths of your word and be parents that, uh, that uh, fit in line with Scripture. Help us to do our part. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I believe that the key to a healthy church is to have healthy families. A church with healthy families is a healthy church. Last week we said that a good marriage is built on good habits. And this week I would add to that that uh, the same would apply to the parent-child relationship. If you want to have a healthy parent-child relationship, then you must have some healthy habits That that is built on. Now, if you go through scripture and you look at this topic of parenting and you consider what the parents' responsibilities are, God has laid out for you uh, some responsibilities. Let me just say this quickly, that just because you have the ability to procreate does not mean that you are ready to be a parent. You need to make sure you understand what you are stepping into scripturally when you bring a child into this world. You go through the action of bringing a child into this world. Now, scripture gives the parents some strong responsibilities, and we're going to put those on the screen for you uh, uh, one at a time. I'm not going to really elaborate except for on the first two. And so notice uh, that um, uh, the parents are to teach they are to teach their children, Deuteronomy 6, 7. Parents are to train their children, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Parents are to provide for their children, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. Children are to, or parents are to nurture their children, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Parents are to control their children, control their children. That's one that's left out today, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 12. Parents are to correct their children. Uh, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24. And parents are to love their children. Ch- Titus 
chapter 2 and verse number 4. These are your responsibilities. By bringing a child into the world, you make a contract with God to teach, train, provide for, nurture, control, correct, and love your children. And these are all very important. Now, I believe that these, uh, let's see, the bottom, uh, the ones below the bottom two, uh, uh, will fit in a subcategory below the first two. So let's focus on teach and train by way of introduction. Uh, let me define teach for you this way. Teaching can be defined as the transfer of knowledge. The transfer of knowledge. By the time your youngster gets to be an 18-year-old adult, they ought to have enough knowledge to survive in this world on their own. By the time your child gets to 18... It is your job to transfer the knowledge from your head to their head. Now, there is no cord you can plug into your brain and plug into their brain and transfer over. This is a tedious process. You must teach your children. How many of you with small children, or uh, remember back when your children were small, uh, understand that children ask a lot of questions? I mean a lot of questions. There are times where I'm, I'm going down the road with my children and we've got a 20, 30 minute ride back and forth from, uh, from here in our home and my daughter will start asking questions and she's in a question asking mood and 20 minutes in, I just have to say, stop asking me questions. Just stop. I can't take it anymore. And here's something I have to remind myself. If I don't answer her questions, somebody out there will. I can't get annoyed by the questions that my children ask. Now, some questions obviously are repetitive and they're just asking them for the sake of asking them. But when your child comes to you with a question, they're asking you, Hey, Dad, hey, Mom, transfer the knowledge in your head over to my head. Mom, Dad, teach me. I love uh, uh, sitting around the corner for my children and maybe they don't know I'm there. And they get into an argument about something and one of them will be just don't dogmatic about something and the way that they win the argument is saying well that's what dad said well i heard mom say well then argument over because if dad said it or mom said it it just has to be true and that is like you know the top that, that's the, the 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 top card you can lay down uh, that is the winning argument mom said it dad said it therefore it must be true unfortunately they get to an age where uh, what you say uh, isn't true anymore. They call everything you say into question, don't they? I heard someone say that when your children are 5, 6, and 7, they ask why? Because they think you know everything. When they turn 15, 16, 17, they ask why? Because they think they know everything. And um, I had a teenager just cross her arms right now. So, um, won't say any names. So, she's Selena's. Amen. Um, uh, but uh, teenagers, uh, anyway, teenagers, Mark Twain said when a child uh, turns 13, put them in a box and put a hole in it. And when they turn 18, plug the hole. Teenagers are a different, uh, a different breed. Amen. Listen, here's the point I want to make. And I'm being funny. If you're a teenager in here, I'm, I'm just being funny. I don't, don't, don't get your feelings hurt. Um, uh, teenagers or rather children are a blank sheet of paper. The more mom and dad that you write on that paper, the less the opposition gets to write on the paper. Get busy writing on that paper. Teach them. Don't just show them you're smart. Transfer that smartness. Transfer that knowledge. Teaching. Teaching is not training. Teaching aims at the head. 
Training aims at the heart. Training is the transfer of behavior. The transfer of behavior. You have heard the phrase, no doubt, practice makes what? You know that phrase is not accurate. Practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Perfect practice makes perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. And what you learn is that nobody's perfect, and so no one will ever get anything absolutely perfect. But you can critique, and you can do better, and you can get better. Perfect practice makes perfect. Here's the point I'm making. You are training your child whether you realize it or not. They pick up on everything. On everything. They pick up on your nervous tics. They pick up on your choice of language. They pick up on uh, your way of coping with a difficult situation. They will copy you. They will copy you. And let me just say here, they will copy your bad habits before they'll copy your good habits. When they turn 18, 19, 20, 21, oftentimes they'll take what you did in moderation and they'll live it out in excess for a while. You better be careful. Training them to do the wrong thing, that's natural. Training them to do the right thing, you must train them on purpose. It is up to you, mom and dad, to instill in your children to help them develop the right habits. You must intentionally train them. You must have a plan. When they turn 18, it's not enough for them to know what to do. They must have put into practice and be able to perform on how to do. They must leave you at 18, 19, 20. 2021, whatever age they depart from your home, hopefully not their 30s and 40s, but uh, early in their 20s at the latest, and they know how to live. Why? Because you have helped coach them. You've not only taught them, you've trained them in how to do it. Mom and dad, it's not enough for you just by default let society raise your children. Mom and dad, it's not enough just to let the school system raise your children. Whether your kids go to a Christian school, a public school, or they're homeschooled, the school system is not enough to raise your children. It is not up to the school system to do it. It is up to you to train them and have a plan for them and not just let the world by default raise them. We live in a day and age where our children are being raised by YouTube and TVs and smartphones. It's time that we take the YouTube and TVs and smartphones and we limit them. I don't care if your child is 6 or 16. You need to limit it and you need to train your child. It's not enough to say, well, I, 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 I'm just, you know, I, it's easy. Listen, shoving a phone in a child's hand and, and so they'll leave you alone, that's easy. Taking the time to actually train them on how to live is another story. I'm amazed at people my age and younger, how lazy they are. I'm amazed at how work ethic has just seemed to evaporate. They don't have one. They don't know how it is to work. They complain about being tired all the time. And maybe if you turn YouTube off and go to sleep at a decent time, you know how to work. But where did they learn that? I was sitting around the table with my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters sometimes back. I'm the oldest of seven. And my mom was just complaining about the millennials, the millennials, just complaining and complaining and complaining about how terrible the millennials are. And she doesn't realize this. All seven of her children are millennials, all of us. And we're all feeling personally attacked. My dad was a Christian school administrator, so she wasn't really talking about us. She was talking about many of the kids in the school there and how, you know, they're just just not cooperative and she can't get them to do what she wants. And finally, um, uh, my brother 
Jonathan, who's very cold and calculated and, and uh, very well spoken, he, he, he sat there quietly and listened to my mom go on and on. And he said, after a few minutes, it got quiet. And he said, Mom, which generation raised the millennials? And then my mom got all defensive. Well, my kids aren't that way. But it's not. And my, 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 my brother said, well, Mom, you didn't raise us that way. But your peers raised these millennials. And so if you, your generation has a problem with our generation, maybe your generation ought to take a good long look in the mirror. I'm speaking to the generation that has raised one of the laziest generations in America. If you're in your uh, 40s and up, don't go complaining about people my age and down. You're the one that put these people on the planet. You say, well, pastor, uh, criticizing us isn't going to help us. No, but understanding the error of our ways and fixing it uh, for those that have small children here will go a long ways to help uh, the little kids growing up now do a whole lot better. I didn't come in here this morning for the purpose of being mean, but I didn't come in here for the purpose of saying we as parents have a duty and a responsibility. Ability to train on purpose. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 says, train up a child. Transfer behavior to a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. A child will not, a child will not allow you to teach and train unless you get their heart. They must believe, please don't miss this. They must believe that you love them. And that you have their best interest at heart. Quickly let me add that the younger you're able to get that child's heart, the easier it is to maintain that heart. If you wait, it takes time. Pastor, how do you get a child's heart? Well, that's sort of the purpose of the sermon this morning. For those of you that have toddlers to children under the age of seven and under in the home, maybe even ten and under in the home, there's still a great chance if you've not gained their heart to get their heart. And I hope that you'll sit up and listen. If you have children over the age of ten, you can still do it, but you're going to have to work a little bit harder. Let me just also add this. From birth to ten... You do more teaching than training. From 10 to adulthood, you do more training than teaching. What do I mean? From birth to 10, you're teaching them how to live. From 10 and up, you're coaching them to go forth and live what you've taught them. From birth to 10, you're more of the teacher. And from 10 to adulthood, you are the coach. You gave them the knowledge in the first 10 years, and then you're helping them put that knowledge into practice from 10 to 20 or 10 to 18. Now, there is some training from birth to 10, and there's some teaching from 10 to adulthood. But teaching is the majority of what you do the first 10 years, and training or coaching is what you do the next 10 years. If you're not teaching uh, the first first 10 years, you're going to have a hard time training the next 10 years. So make sure that you are working hard uh, uh, the first 10 years of life to transfer the knowledge of how to live. Uh, From their entrance into adulthood and forward, you've taught them and you trained them. What do you do then? You pray. You pray. Once your children hit adulthood, you hope that they have developed the skills to stay out of life's ditches. Where we fail as parents in our teaching and training, once our children hit adulthood, they must learn through the school of adversity. And that is hard. 
How many of you have adult children and you've had to just step back and let them learn through the school of hard knocks? You know what that's like. That's not fun, is it? It's not fun watching your children fall flat on their face and make a mess of themselves. And I guarantee you, every parent in the room that's had a child fall flat on their face, they're hoping if you have children at home still, you'll listen intently to what the scripture says so that you won't have to go through that on the same level that those who raise their hand have. Uh, By the way, I'm not here to throw stones at anyone who has an adult child who's not living just right. If I know that you have an adult child that's struggling in sin, I guarantee you, I promise you, I am praying for you and that adult child to get right. I'm not here to throw stones at anyone. I'm here to challenge those with children at home to do right. And I hope that if you have adult children, you will not listen to the sermon this morning and feel guilty that you didn't do some of what's preached or taught or explained, but rather you will pray for those that have children at home that they will raise them right. Here's my proposition this morning. I propose that many Christians are guilty of practicing a secular style of parenting. These parents put more weight into what the culture says and the experiences of their own upbringing say than they do with what God says in his word. I propose that God created the home, God knows what is best for your home, and God wants you to follow His model. We're going to look at two principal thoughts as we consider this topic, loving my family, loving my children. And the purpose of this is to help you know how to teach and train. Obviously, I can't cover everything the scripture says about parenting in a 40-minute message. So uh, this won't include everything, but I hope this will at least give you some things to consider. Number one, notice a thoughtful love, a thoughtful love. Uh, We must raise our children right on purpose. There must be some thoughtfulness put in to raising uh, your children. Notice letter A, our Priority, Our priority. Look with me at Psalm 127 and verse number 1. It says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved Sleep. You can see the tension here in these two verses. Uh, We're told to let the Lord build the house. We're told to let the Lord lead the way. We're told to let the Lord dictate to us how it is that we raise our children. We're not to follow our own philosophy. We're not to follow our own ideas. We're not to go at it alone. Instead, we're to submit to the Lord and let Him be the one that builds the house. What is the tension here? You see at the, uh, the, the end of verse 1, you see the workaholic parent. The workaholic parent. Look back there. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. This is a man or a woman, who, a mom or dad, who's working hard to raise the children right but devoid of God. They're looking to do everything on their own. The Bible says that if you want to raise a child your way or society's way, but you don't want to do it with the Lord, you are wasting your time. Verse 2 describes the worrier. The worrier. Look at verse 2. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. 
if you try to raise your child on your own, devoid of God and the Word of God and doing it God's way, you're going to end up putting yourself in a place where you do nothing but worry over your children. However, if you let the Lord be the one that leads the way and you're following His Word and His principles, while there will be some tough times and while you'll struggle and while you'll want to pull your hair out and while you'll be confused and confounded and at your wit's end raising children, the Lord will help you get through that. Uh, Letter B, we see that children are His property. His property. Look at verse number 3. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. One of the mistakes I believe many parents make is that they think they own their children. Those children that God has given you are not yours, they're God's. One day, you're going to give an account to God for how you raised them and prepared them. Don't let that go in one ear and out the other. You are going to stand before Almighty God and tell Him how you did raising those children that He gave you. Each one of them. Now, you're not going to be held responsible for their life choices as an adult. But you are going to be responsible for how well you taught them and how well you trained them. I tell my children regularly as I'm tucking them in bed or I'm holding them in my arms, I'm going down the road to the store with them, I say this to them. You do not belong to me or your mother. You belong to the Lord. Mom and I are doing our part to prepare you so we can give you back to God. You know what that communicates to Matthew and April? That they're going to give an account to God one day for their life. Listen, I want to just transfer to you this one main thought this morning. Your children need to be prepared for eternity. You need to do it God's way. You need to do it God's way. Sir, that child is not yours. That child belongs to God. You better raise him God's way. You better not raise him your way. Ma'am, that child belongs to God. That child does not belong to you. You better teach that child what it means to love God with all his heart, with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. Teach that child to love others as themselves. Letter A, our priority. Letter B, his property. Notice letter C, our purpose. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man... So are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. The Bible describes children as arrows. The Bible says the man that has lots of children is a man that is happy. What do you do with an arrow? What good is an arrow if it just sits on a shelf? You load that arrow into a bow. And by the way, the straighter the arrow, the more accurate the shot. You know what teaching and training is? It's whittling away the knots. It's it's putting a layer of polish. It's making sure that they're ready. And that child becomes an adult. Are you listening? You load that child into that arrow... And you launch them at the target of the world. Not to be like the world, 
but to change the world. To change the world. Can I ask an obvious question? Why do we try to get our children to look like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, and be the world if our purpose is to get them to change the world? There ought to be something a little bit different about the way you raise your children than the way that the world system teaches you to raise your children. You ought to take books on parenting that are not written by Christian men and you ought to use them as kindling in your fireplace. You ought to get the Bible first and foremost and study what this says about parenting. And then get some books written by some Christian men who understand what the Bible says about parenting. And read those and understand those. You better get your hands on some preaching about parenting. And let the Bible and the Word of God dictate to you. What we do is we let we let what uh, some parent group on Facebook says. Or we let what some book that some secular psychologist wrote says. We let some teacher uh, in, in some classroom. And I'm not picking on any school system. Uh, what, I've seen Christian school teachers give bad advice too. But we let some teacher tell us what uh, 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 how we ought to raise our kids. And, and we let our own upbringings, uh, uh, the way our parents raised us, tell us how to do it. Instead, we ought to go diving into the Bible and say, God, what do you have to say about how to raise my child? Because I'm going to one day take that child after I've taught them and trained them, and I'm going to launch them in the world, and I want their life to go forth into that world like an arrow, and I want wanted to make a difference in the world. Boy, parents, we have a tall order. We have a tall order. And it's not going to happen unless you have a purposeful, thought-out, careful love for that child. A thoughtful love. A thoughtful love. Notice point number two, a tough love. A tough love. Now, I, I am trimming back my sermons in an attempt to make them a little bit shorter. And so I cut out the original point number two, which was going to be a tender love. And I'm going to tell you why I cut it out. Because most of you in here are really good at doting on your kids. And so I don't really need to tell you to do that. Most of you are really good at pouring on kindness and care on your children. And I was going to take you to Ephesians 6 and show you what that said about nurturing your child. I don't think children in today's homes uh, are lacking from nurture. I think most of us are pretty good at pouring love, uh, nurture all over our children. But I do think where we are lacking in 2020 in parenting, and again, these are just my observations, we're not stern enough, we're not disciplinary enough with our children. We do not have a plan to get that child to live between the lines. And so we're going to focus on that this morning, a tough love. Notice letter A, the characteristics of a child. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 with me, and we'll be in Hebrews chapter 12, the remainder of the message. We're done with Psalm 127. Please turn over to Hebrews chapter number 12, and uh, let, let's look at verse 11 down through verse number 14. Now, to be fair to Hebrews chapter 12, there is a parallel going on here uh, between correcting a child with God's correction of us, and the purpose of the passage is not to talk about um, uh, the, the, the correction of a child, but rather to talk about how that God is correcting us. And so I want to be fair to the passage, but I do believe that as the Bible speaks on parenting here, we can make the applications. Look at verse number 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised. Notice that word exercised. 
which are exercised thereby. There are some things that need to be exercised uh, in a child because they are by default not in shape. Look at verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. This speaks to the laziness of a child. And make straight paths for your feet. This makes a reference to uh, the sin nature of a child and the stubbornness of a child. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Then we see the purpose in parenting, the purpose in chastising. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. From this passage, we see that children are born out of spiritual shape. Their spiritual hands hang down. Their spiritual knees are feeble. Their spiritual path uh, 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 they they walk is crooked. Uh, Their spiritual body is lame. They need to be spiritually exercised to be healed. What is the point of the passage? I'm going to say this with a smile on my face. Your child is not by default a good person. Not a good person. Your child, yes, yours, is a sinner. There, I said it. I had a mom, I had a mom that was part of a Spanish ministry that I, uh, uh, Angela and I were part of in, in uh, the south side of Baltimore. She uh, was having a run-in. The child was having a run-in with her kindergarten teacher. And so uh, the teacher alleged that the child had lied. And the mom wrote out this long email and sent it to Angela to proofread as sort of a buffer. And in the email, the mother said, My child does not know how to lie. (laughs) And when Angela read that to me... (laughs) Uh, Five minutes later, when I stopped laughing, (laughs) let me talk to you about your child for a minute. Your child is lazy. Your child is lazy. You say, oh, not my child. Oh, yes, your child. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 10 and 11 says this, Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come. As one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. Solomon is looking at his son Rehoboam, and he's saying, Hey, you just woke up, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. That slumber, that sleep, you're going to become impoverished. And boy, did his son become impoverished. Why? Because it is natural for all of us to be lazy. Some of you in here this morning, you're really hard workers, and I'm thankful that you're a really hard worker. Praise the Lord that you're a really hard worker. But can I tell you this? You're flesh does not want you to be a hard worker and you have trained yourself how to overcome that but I promise you your junior your little Susie your little Joey is lazy the next thing I want to tell you this morning is that your child is manipulative your child is manipulative you don't believe me that children are manipulative sign up to work the nursery a mom drops their baby off in the nursery you know what that baby does that baby cries You know why that baby cries? Because that baby is manipulating mom's heartstrings to come back and get that baby. I just want to say this morning that children are anti-fragile. Anti-fragile. 
We live in a world of helicopter parents. They want to go out in front and cut every issue down. Let me just stop and and say something here. That light bulb is flickering. And yes, it's bothering me. And yes, it's bothering you. I keep seeing everybody look over there. Uh, It didn't start flickering until the service started. All right. I'm sorry it's flickering. But everybody do your best to try to ignore it. Okay. Some of you are just going to be like, ooh. Like a mosquito on the light the rest of the service. Try to focus in, okay? Uh, uh, that light is manipulating you <laughs> to not pay attention. See? But children are manipulative. And children will do anything and everything to, to get their way. They'll, they'll cry. They'll complain. They'll, 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 they'll try to dictate to you uh, your, your schedule. It is time for moms and dads to stand up and lead. And quit letting the children lead you. A few minutes ago, I talked about gaining the heart of your child. Can I tell you something right now? If you do not lead your children, your children do not respect you. And if your children do not respect you, you do not have their heart. I, 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 I see in a world today parents who their children do not obey them because they, the parents, do not know how to obey themselves. Here's what I mean. You tell your child, you do that one more time and you're going to get it. Twenty more times later when they haven't gotten it, you can't even obey yourself. Why would your child obey you? Your, child, your children know how to manipulate you. Your children are not fragile, they're anti-fragile. What do I mean? They need some problems to come along in their life. Uh, uh, sometimes Matthew uh, will get into a, 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 get into, have a problem with another child in the church, and they'll have a disagreement, they'll have an argument, and, and, uh, and, and Matthew said one time, he said, Well, Dad, what would you do if, if such and such hit me in the mouth? I would say, Good. And his mom looks at me like, What? Son, at some point, somebody needs to punch you in the mouth, and you need to learn how to deal with it. Do you want your son's lip to be busted? At some point, yes, I do. No, I'm not going to bust his lip. I'm his dad. But at some point, someone needs to shove him on the ground. Someone needs to knock him off his high horse. Someone needs to teach him how to deal with resistance. And I'm looking at a a world today where moms and dads, oh, no, 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 I can't let my child cry, and I have to give them exactly what they want, and I have to give it to them right now, and I can't let them cry. No, how about this? How about sometimes you just let your child cry for a little bit and let them learn that those tears are not going to manipulate you? I've had uh, people tell me, they say, well, your daughter, uh, uh, does she have your heart? Oh, yes, my daughter has my heart. Can your daughter get things out of you? Oh, yes, my daughter can get things out of me. Uh, Do you know that sometimes she can manipulate you? Yes, I know when she's manipulating me and I let it happen. But let me say this, I could go home today and my daughter could say to me, hey, dad, you're the best looking man in the whole world. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. Hey, dad, uh, can I rub your feet? Oh, sure, sweetheart. Uh, uh, Hey, dad, hey, uh, can we? go out and get some ice cream? Yes, sweetheart. We can go get some ice cream. But you know when my daughter can't manipulate me is when she's in trouble. She'll turn on the waterworks. I'm so sorry. Hey, look, I don't care if you're my daughter. You did wrong. There are consequences to your sin. And we're going to deal with that right now. Children are manipulative. Let me give you another one here. Your child is disobedient. When I say your child, I mean our children. Mine are as well. 
Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Why would have God told children to obey if they weren't by default disobedient? Children are stubborn. Our children are stubborn. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 20. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. Uh, with Matthew and April uh, when they were little, and excuse me for overusing them, but those are my children and these are my experiences. So uh, I, I, I'll tell you the good and bad of their lives. By the way, pray for the pastor's children because they are in some aspects living in a glass house and people look at them and observe them and, and, and know every time they do something wrong. And they have to be their dad's good and bad sermon illustration. So pray, pray for the pastor's children. But um, uh, I remember when Matthew was just... He couldn't have been more than 14, 15 months old. And he's sitting in his high chair, and, and my wife was shoveling uh, mashed potatoes into his mouth. And Matthew would spit the potato, uh, and we knew he liked them. So we weren't making him eat something he didn't like. But his stubborn spirit, we put uh, potatoes in his mouth, he spit them on the floor. And I said, oh, no, you're going to eat your potatoes. And so I said, Matthew, you better not spit those potatoes out again. And he, mmm. And so uh, Angela put some more potatoes in his mouth. He spit them on the floor again. Well, now I have a choice. Is he going to win or am I going to win? And so I picked him up and I gave him some swats on the diaper. And I put him back in his chair and he is screaming. Not because he's in pain. He's screaming because he's angry that he got corrected. And I said, Angela, put some more potatoes in his mouth. And so his mouth is wide open, his face is blood red, he's screaming, and he's got, you know, just a couple of teeth in his mouth. Angela puts the spoon in his mouth and scrapes the potatoes off in his screaming mouth. They land down on his tongue, and in his anger, he spits them on the floor again. And I said, oh no, you're going to eat those potatoes. And so I pulled him back out of the high chair, and I gave him some more wax on the diaper, and I set him down. Listen, I wasn't angry. I wasn't upset. I was very careful and calculated. But eight, nine, ten spankings later, he ate his potatoes. And you know what? I can count on one hand how many times since then Matthew has directly defied me. His stubbornness was broken. Now, April was different. We didn't have that defining moment with April. It was a constant day by day, day by day of punishing her when she did wrong. And one day she woke up and said, I'm just tired of getting my hiney smack. I'm just going to behave. Each child is different. But mom and dad, you must declare war on that sin in your child's heart. The characteristics of a child. Letter B, notice the chastisement of a child. Look back with me at um, Hebrews chapter 12 and look at verse number 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chaseth. Let me stop there for a moment. How do we know, according to verse 6, how do we know that the Lord loves us? Look there. Speak, speak up now. How do we know the Lord loves us? He chastens us. If, if the Lord did not love us, he would not chasten us. Let's keep reading. And scourgeth. Oh, that's a strong word. To scourge someone? That's more than just a broad term, chasten. That word scourge has an implication of beating someone. Of physical 
a physical correction of someone. Scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Look at verse 7. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Look here. He's saying, if you are a father, by default you chasten. Verse 8. But if ye be without chastisement, uh, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. That's strong language. Look at verse 9. Furthermore, we have uh, had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Notice the connection between correction and reverence. If you do not correct and you do not do it consistently, your children will not reverence you. If you do correct, then you uh, will reverence your parents. Uh, Shall we not much uh, rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and lives? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. Let me ask a question this morning to you mom and dad, to, to moms and dads in the room. Does your child revere you? Does your child revere you? Um, let me help you with that. If your child has no problem talking back to you, your child does not revere, revere you. If you threaten to punish your child and they roll their eyes or their shoulders or keep on doing what they're doing, your child does not revere you. Your child does not respect you. Your child does not fear you. It it ought to be that you work your children to a place by the time they're five, six, seven years old where you can call their name when they're doing something wrong. You can look at them in the eye and do this right here. Just shake your head no. And they come to an immediate halt. Because they know that if they don't, they're not going to like what's coming next. How does this work? When your child has not done anything wrong and you call their name, they know they've not done anything wrong and you call their name, Boy, they come running because they want to spend time with you. They love your presence. But when they have done wrong, they ought to hate the sight of your presence. Do you know why most Christians don't really pray very much? Because they know they're living in sin and they don't want to see God. The purpose of this is to get you to understand that child needs to fear you. Now, I, I thought through uh, all of the moms and dads I know in our church. And here was the question I asked. Of those children, how many of them have a dad who is really in charge? Where the children go, ooh, I can't misbehave around dad because he's going to get me. Here's where we're at as a society. We have, the society has yielded and given us some really strong women. Really strong women. Let me just say this right now. I am not opposed to strong women. What I am opposed to is weak men. We have a bunch of... Listen, moms have always, going all the way back to, to, to Eve in the Garden of Eden, moms have always had a heart full of compassion toward the child. 
and, and, and stood up for the child and, and wanted to protect the child from dads coming down hard. What has happened in 2020 is dads, oh, okay, they acquiesce, they give in, they back off. No, dad, you are to be the enforcer. Do you know why God gave men a deeper voice? So that when dad calls the child's name, dad, uh, that child will be intimidated a little bit and will fear a little bit and will obey a little bit quicker than when mom calls. And if you're here today and you're a single mom and you're doing your best to raise your kids, listen, I pray for you that God gives you the wisdom to know how to be both a mom and a dad because you have your hands full. And you give it your absolute best. But God has called you to chastise. Now, uh, let me just say, uh, and we'll finish the message, that there is to be a system in place when you chastise. Let me give it to you. And this applies to you as a Christian with God, all right? And so if you're here today and you're not a parent, you can take this application and make it to your own life when you have done wrong against God. Here it is. First of all, below this uh, uh, chastisement of a child, notice, an admission of wrongdoing. An admission of wrongdoing. What is this? This is the child recognizing audibly that they did wrong. Let me draw up a hypothetical for you. I get home today and I find out that April has uh, uh, gotten into a fight with a little child at church and then lied about it to one of the teachers. Again, I'm making this up. And I, am, uh, I get a call on my way home from Brother, Brother Andres and he tells me what happened and April is totally in the wrong. And, I, and I, I get home and I say to my daughter, on the, uh, when we pull into the driveway, I say, go straight to your room. Go straight to your room. All right, she goes to her room. She's waiting on me to come in. I'm going to take a few minutes, and I'm going to make sure my spirit is calm and cool and collected, and I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm going to pray, or at least at some some point somewhere in the process, ask God to help me have the right spirit. Here is how this is supposed to work. I walk into my daughter's room. I either pull up a chair, or I sit down next to her on the bed, and I ask her this question. April, what... Did you do wrong? I'm not looking for her to say, well, Brother Andre says I did this. Or her to say, I don't know. Or her to say, I am going to have her audibleize out loud her sin. And if she's not willing to tell me, I'm going to walk out of the room. And give her a few minutes to collect herself. And I'm going to come back in. And we're not moving one step further until she audibilizes out loud what she did wrong. You know why? First John 1 John 1.9. If you know it, quote it with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what? God's not going to forgive you until you've confessed what you've done wrong. So until our child has been willing to confess their wrongdoing, we can't move to we can't we can't move to the next step. An admission of wrongdoing. That child needs to say out loud what they did wrong. What's the next step? They need to accept an acceptance of consequences, remorse. You know, when a child does wrong, they need to be punished. Now my children hate to be punished. But what does punishment yield? It yields a recognition on their part that God hates their sin. I hope you listen to me right here. 
God has called you as a mom and dad to spank your children. Oh, I, I, that's abuse. Not if it's done the biblical way. Five or six times in the book of Proverbs, we're commanded to spank with a rod our children. Now, once your child gets to be a teenager, spanking is a little less effective. You move on to other, uh, you move on to other methods. By the way, when you spank a child, please keep this in context. When you spank a child, you're never to, you're never to bruise them. You're never meant to leave a, a long-term mark. You're never to do it out of anger or frustration. Many, many, many parents will spank a child and say, Well, Pastor, I tried spanking, but it just doesn't work. Have you stopped and considered that maybe it isn't the spanking that's broken, it's your way of doing it that's broken? Brother Var, if I were to go to work with you tomorrow, tomorrow and you were to hand me a tool I've never used before, and say, go over here and do this task. And I were to come back an hour later and say, your tool doesn't work. Would it be the tool that doesn't work, or would it be me that doesn't know how to work it? It'd be me, wouldn't it? And a lot of folks, they don't know how to use the tool of spanking, and so they blame spanking as the problem. My friend, God has not called you to wield the paddle out of anger. That is sin. If you hit a child out of anger, uh, it, it isn't the, the paddle that was broken. It was the one swinging the paddle that was broken. You must get yourself together and you must have a plan. Look, how can I stand so dogmatically on this point? Because God's word stands dogmatically on this point. And if God says this is the method, then we have to set aside what Sigmund Freud or any other psychologist says. And we just have to go by what this book says. The purpose here is to get your youngster to accept the consequences and to show remorse. Lastly, an apology to the offended. Repentance. Recognition, remorse, repentance. So here's how this looks. I'm sitting next to April on her bed for this supposed hypothetical sin. And I say to her, what did you do wrong? And she says... I punched a kid in the face. I say, okay, why is that wrong? Well, do you know what that child did to me? I don't care what that child did to you. Why is that wrong? Because the Bible tells me I am to be kind. You see how we're bringing it back to the Bible? The Bible says I am to be kind and I am to love even those who are mean to me. What else did you do wrong? Nothing. Brother Andres is telling me you lied about it. Did you lie about it? Well, okay, we're not moving forward. Do you admit all of your wrongdoing? We get an admission of lying, an explanation as to why we must spank. A spanking is distributed. We get down on our knees together, and I let her tell God she's sorry for what she did wrong. And then she is to apologize to the person she punched in the mouth. Apologize to Brother Andres for lying to him. We make those calls. And then I give her a hug and I say, God has forgiven you and I have forgiven you. You see what we're doing here? We're setting that child up that when that child turns 18 and they're no longer under your purview or care, they still view their sin as an offense to God. 
And that's the goal. Not just to get them to behave when you're looking over their shoulder, but get them to behave all the time. The chastisement of a child. How do you love a child? You don't just love a child by giving them everything they want. You love a child by having a firm, careful plan to correct them. Folks, we need to get back to that as a society. And we need to get back to that as a church. We need to get back to that as a people of God. That we follow God's model in parenting. Parenting on purpose. Loving my children. Lord, we pray that this morning you would help us to take the principles that were covered. And while some of this is new to the listeners, it is not new in your word. Help us, Lord, to take these truths and go home and put them in place. Lord, uh, there are people from all sorts of circumstances and situations where uh, these truths need to uh, be worked to fit their circumstances. But, Lord, help us to live by your word. Help us to love our children. In Jesus' name we pray.